On today's episode, we are joined by returning guest David Marquet. His book, Leadership is Language, is available now as an ebook or a real book wherever you get your reading sources. We are in the capable hands of Rick Brown and Adam Ferguson. David joins us over Skype from the United States, and Adam and Rick are in the studio here in Melbourne. Hello and welcome to Leadership of Fools. We are back with another special follow-up episode and it's special in many ways because here in the First Mate Chair, uh, we've got a a new First Mate. It is Adam Ferguson. Good morning, Rick. Oh, you've been upgraded. You're a a long-time guest of Leadership of Fools and now you've been promoted uh, to a real position of authority. How are you feeling? I'm feeling very privileged, very special, but I have uh, Cole to my left here, so I've got some reassurance that things are going to be fine. If Colin has to step in, uh, that's that's a real bad sign for you, Adam. <laughs> uh, so just keep an eye on him. If he starts lurching towards the microphone, you need to just pick up your game. <laughs> uh, and it is a follow-up episode, as I said, because we have got one of our favourite guests back via Skype. The technology is in full effect. It is David Marquet. Um, and he is back. You might remember David. He came on to, to chat all things nuclear submarines and to uh, just educate us on the way to run a nuclear submarine. Uh, and he had the philosophy of um, not not giving orders. Don't ask me to tell you what to do, and I'll stay out of your way. And the uh, the Navy went. You know what? Thumbs up. Uh, and he's turned that into some best selling books. Uh, and he's, I believe, come back with yet another book uh, to in- inspire and enlighten. Am I on roughly the right track, David? Yeah, yeah, I'd say 80%. Good. That's all I ever aim for. That's that's my KPI. So I can just sit back and relax from here on in. Great, great to have you back, David, and, and welcome. Thanks, Rick. Uh, so uh, your new book, tell us, tell us what's it called? What's going on? Um, does it involve nuclear submarines? If not, I'm out. Yeah, it, it, it's... It barely involves nuclear submarines, I'm, but I am thinking of this as sort of book two in this in in a trilogy. I don't know what book three is going to be, but it just sounds cool to have yeah. a trilogy. Yeah. So this is book. So I'm, I'm already was, excited. Yeah, I'm already. So the idea is, the name is called "Leadership is Language," and uh, as we've been working with organizations on this idea of what of replicating what happened on the nuclear submarine. We keep getting drawn to the, the most basic building blocks of leadership interactions, which is how we sit in meetings, how we do one-on-one conversations, how we have send written guidance to our teams, how we write e- emails, and it just gets really basic. And it struck me over and over again that we were using industrial age language. Uh, technology companies would talk about all hands meetings. Uh, we would run meetings in a way where we had discussed something and then sort of build, try to build consensus and then do like a binary up down vote. And we wanted to ha- and we talked about being can do organizations. And I kept having this nagging feeling that what we really wanted was can think. We wanted to balance can do with can think. And we didn't want necessarily all hands, maybe sometimes all hands, but we also really wanted all hearts and all heads. But I never heard these words. So we started coming up with this, don't say this, say that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. And we had kind of this big menu. And then uh, the problem was you couldn't remember any of it. It's too complicated. Yeah. So we searched for the underlying patterns. And what I think 
uh, we've come up with is a good structure that describes the underlying pattern, sort of the secret, the hidden pattern to what this language sounds like, which once you understand, all these other things kind of fit into place. You've cracked and the code. And then you use the right language. You beautiful minded it. You cracked the code. And, and David, was this a, a, a bit of a, a sort exactly? Of, <laughs> was this a bit of a, a light bulb moment, or was this more of a, a gradual observation learning process to, to get to sort of this uh, observation that that language has such a role in terms of uh, how we are as leaders and the influence we have? Well, uh, my, it's, it was grounded in my experience on the submarine. So on the submarine, let's say you're about to shoot, uh, you launch a weapon, launch a torpedo. And at the last moment, you're you're not quite sure that you're actually got the right target selected, and it's a very messy, confusing ocean. <laughs> and you say, "Don't, don't shoot." Well, and someone sneezes right when you hear when when you say "don't." Mm -hmm. Yeah, shoot. That's all that the, the person at the launch console hears. They go. Phoosh. It, <laughs> I'm feeling very so, safe so, now, David. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, no. There's so, so many so, allergens so on a submarine as well. Yeah, bring that missile back. It's not coming back. So we would never say it that way. So we spent so so the idea of paying attention to language is natural, but it was sort of coalescing. I had these different ideas. I got on the airplane. I was taking this red ape flight, and the guy sits down next to me and he brings out these binders. Mm -hmm. And they look like football playbooks. And I look at them. I don't I don't know who he is, but um, I said, Hey, are those playbooks, because I'm working on this thing. And it turns out the guy is John Gruden, who just got hired as the head coach for the uh, Ray Oakland Raiders. So this is a big job. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, it's like a $10 million a year, 10-year contract. And so this is a big guy in, in football. And, and I was like, well, tell me about these plays. He opens the first binder, and it's all about language. It's about practice. It's about the locker room. It's about off the field. It's about when you're at home. And he said, well, you know, it all starts with language. And as soon as I heard that, I was like, that's the metaphor. It's a playbook. Yeah. And we've been programmed to do certain plays, and we've got to reprogram them. And, and David, I think that's probably the, the big change from your, your first book, which was a, a, a great story about your leadership journey, whereas this, uh, th this new book is, is more of a, uh, not, a, dare I say, an instruction manual or a tool for aspiring leaders to, to make that step and grow as leaders themselves. And I felt that was a, a big step in the evolution of, of the story and the direction of, that you're taking us. Yeah, you're right. I I, I don't know, instruction manual kind of takes me back to uh, sitting yeah. in school and yeah. getting my knuckles wrapped. But, <laughs> but it's, a, it's, it, it's, a, it's a structure of how we talk at work and really being mindful and deliberate about the words that we use. And so I'm an engineer, so I, I, sometimes I refer to it as re-engineering the language. And over and over again, we find, so for example, here's a really simple uh, example we would often, I would, I would observe meetings where people would say, is it safe or sh should we launch the product? And they're trying to make a binary decision, launch the product or not, or do, do some option, do, some, do something or not. But, but the question shouldn't be binary because what you want to do is ask the question, how safe is it in your opinion? Because if someone's feeling like it's 51% safe, and they vote, yeah, it's safe, especially if there's group conformity issues going on, then you really didn't learn it. So you, you don't differentiate 
differentiate between 99% enthusiasm and 51% enthusiasm or 49 or one. So we would say, well, how safe is it? Sometimes we just vote with our hands or with cards or polling or whatever. So that's the kind of thing that's in the book. You've got to be careful as well because sometimes people will say don't launch the product, but someone sneezes when when they say don't and then you accidentally launch the product. You're right. Yeah, so... so for, 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 okay, uh, upload some. <laughs> I said back. don't. <laughs> well, I, I, from a, my own personal experience, I was, I was leading a, a software uh, company at one point and uh, we were upgrading our existing clients from one product to a, a newer version. And uh, uh, it, because it, it was, we were operating in an annual cycle because it was uh, uh, tax-related, uh, we were absolutely going to be launching that product hell or high water. Uh, yeah. and, and, and it wasn't ready. And uh, we, yeah. uh, we caused a lot, lot of impact to our clients. And I think the worst thing, uh, the worst moment was when one of the senior development managers said to me, well, I knew it wasn't going to work. Yeah. Um, and, and, and it just uh, hit me like a ton of bricks of just, just thinking, why, why didn't he speak up? What, what was in, yeah. the, in the operating system? What was in the culture that was holding him back from making those comments? Uh, because we launched <laughs> and, right. Uh, and, and yeah, Adam. So that's exactly the thinking the leader should have. Like, what was it in the culture? What was it in the, about the way we ran the meeting that resulted in him not being able to send that signal? We always say, ask the question that makes it easy for your people to send the signal. And we know. Uh, yeah, well, I'm sorry that happened to you. Um, <laughs> no, no, these, but, these, these, these are we, we all learned from our lessons. And uh, right, right, right. So, uh, you know, so, so a couple of that, that brings up a couple of plays. One play is control the clock. So what happens is in, in industrial age organizations, the play is obey the clock. That's why we have words like clockwork, we, we clock in, we clock out, we pay people by the hour. And that's okay for certain kinds of work. Simple, physical, individual tasks, it's probably okay. But for complex, cognitive, creative tasks, if we don't say time out, okay, we can take a pause here, guys, breathe deeply, and then say, how ready are we to launch the product? They're going to be trapped. The team always is going to be wanting to go, 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 go. And so it's the leader's got to say, hey, hold on. You're in good company because Boeing did the same thing. when They, they were going to launch the 787. So on uh, July 8, 2007, 787 get it uh the they rolled yeah they want they did this big rollout ceremony Fifteen thousand people ceo senior vice president it, it, the plane had cardboard fasteners and empty cable runs and they said oh it's going to fly in one to two months <laughs> and and it didn't fly for three years now, how could you be that far off because again they, they they're they're obeying the clock and everybody knows it Everybody yeah. knows it. So who's going to be the first person to raise their hand and say, you know what? We don't have, we don't actually don't have any wiring in this airplane. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> shut up, shut up, Gary. <laughs> yeah, that, that's kind of important. But anyway, they, um, they're in hot water again. They, they, I don't think they've fixed their cultural problems. Yeah. All their language by the sounds of it, David. David, the, um, the, right. book, the book speaks to this sort of this concept of red work versus blue work. Do you want to maybe yeah. just explain a little bit of that? Because I think it's a, a pretty important sort of backbone to, to the whole plays. Yeah. 
So this is an old concept, which we just put some new language on. But the idea is those two ways, I, those two things I talked about, simple, physical, individual tasks, doing. If you, if you feel yourself, I'm in can-do mode, I'm in production mode. I'm I, benefiting from a focus and a reduce, reduction of variability. We call that red work. Red work is tolerant of stress and red work is fairly tolerant of hierarchy. But there's another kind of work that's doing. And then there's thinking. Thinking is typically collaborative, creative uh, work. Blue work, which we call blue work, blue work is highly um, susceptible to disruption by stress, which is why we have to control the clock. And also doesn't really work well with hierarchy. In blue work, you want ideas to stand based on their merit, not based on the fact that it's the CEO's idea. And so, so what happens is in work, we need both. Like we need to sit down and just grind through whatever it is we're doing. But then periodically and episodically, we pause, we raise our heads. I use an example of the open water swimmer. I know you guys down there in Australia are big swimmers. <laughs> so, uh, so, so the idea is like you're swimming, right? You're swimming towards the buoy with your head down. You have good streamlined position. You're moving fast but you could be going in the wrong direction because you have no lane markers. So every once in a while you raise your head, you sight the buoy, you adjust and you go back down. So you don't half, you're not swimming half looking and half swimming. You're either swimming, streamlining, or you pop, take a look, and then you, you adjust and then you go back. That's the rhythm. And so what the leader's job is to decide which are we in and when do we need to shift? When do we need to schedule the next pause? Yeah, yeah. So, uh, and then to use the right language for our the situation. Yeah, and look, I, I come from a, a software background uh, in technology, and I, I think agile, the whole agile movement has has really played to this red work, blue work concept where. When they're doing red work, the, the, the developers are, are doing the coding, but then there's a constant pause every two weeks to, to pause, reflect on what's been achieved, what's the right direction, and then go again. And it's that continual process from, from sort of doing and thinking that Agile really picks up on. I think that's a perfect example. I talk about it in the book. I love it. And Agile was the first, it's kind of the first management operating system that I've seen I know they don't call it that, but you know, it's the first operating structure that I've seen that, that kind of acknowledges there's two different things. And one of the things I love about Agile is, oh, by the way, when the team is in, in their sprint, in their red work phase, don't pester them with good <laughs> ideas. We call that the good idea fairy. And I've done it, I've done it myself. I'm like, oh, I, I got I'm at a conference, I hear another speaker, I type out an email to my hey, hey, hey guys. How about this? I know you guys are working on updating the website, blah, 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 blah. Like, no, you put it in a bag. You have the discipline, you put it in a backlog. And then when we pop our heads up, you say, oh, what's in the backlog? And then we do it. It's much better. Because even though I was super excited about this brilliant idea that I had, <laughs> my team was like, uh, yeah, whatever. <laughs> You've never done that one in my life, David, ever. Yeah, well, I'm <laughs> yeah. so glad to hear that. <laughs> <laughs> I've got a good idea. I need to share it. <laughs> Right. I'm sure you've done it too, Rick. Yeah, my whole life is popping up when uh, I probably shouldn't. Just always chiming in. And I'm like, well, that was silly. What? Are, why am I even here? And, <laughs> and, and David, um, I, I love the, the, the story of the El Faro. I, I wasn't aware of it. Do, do you want to share a little bit about uh, the unfortunate uh, case of the El Faro? 
Yeah, so this is a tragedy which has left us with a treasure. And uh, this is a 790-foot-long container ship, modern, all the modern equipment, left Jacksonville, Florida, not far from where I live, and was sailing to uh, San Juan, Puerto Rico. And it was in hurt during hurricane season. And basically, the straight route takes you on the, on the Atlantic side of the Bahamas. And once you commit to doing that route, there's one opportunity to cut through at a place called Rum Key. And what happened was the ship sailed right into the hurricane, sank, 33 lives were lost, but ships like airplanes have black boxes. And the NTSB recovered it. And we have a 500 page transcript. We know exactly what they said to each other as they were making decisions or not making decisions about getting away from the hurricane. And so, so it's a treasure trove of how teams actually talk. Everyone says, oh, well, this is how we train them, or here's how we want them to talk. And I'm interested in how they actually talk. And one thing I was very sensitive uh, as I was writing the book is it's super easy. Like if you recorded any person for, for more than 10 seconds, you could – in and I look at, I listen to myself. I'm like, oh my God. <laughs> you, you, you can find fault with things that you say. And, and I really wanted to treat the El Faro crew with respect. People will, the captain kind of gets a bad rap, but in my mind, it was the situation he was put in. So for example, the, the company was going from three ships to two and they had already selected one of the ships captains so so the two remaining captains are, were competing for one spot and he this this captain had taken the longer route the protected route about six months earlier he got called back to company headquarters now no one knows we don't have a, a record of the conversation but everyone suspects he kind of got chewed out because it's longer slower cost more money so here he is with all this in the background going on having to make a decision about which way to go and they make the wrong decision and and they pay for it but I, I i hope that the rest of us can learn from the language so that was one of the concepts uh, that came out of alfaro yeah an absolute disaster and just some of the the examples you use in the book about the the way that the, the crew and the captain um, were, were conversing and discussing uh, certainly shut down a lot of the the opportunity to make a different decision yeah, if you look at, so for example, the captain makes, uh, I'm just trying to remember that. The captain makes about 1,600 statements throughout this 25-hour uh, period. And he makes like about two, he, he asks about 250 questions. But when you look at the questions, a lot of them are not really questions. There are things like, um, so this is the way we're, we want to go, right? So what course is this, one, two, zero? He's answering his own questions. And the idea is just get people to kind of move along. Let's like, let's move along with me. The other thing that was really interesting is we counted the words. We did a word count analysis. And if I made a graph and said, okay, there's three people, the captain, the, the ship's officer, and then uh, a seaman who's actually the driving the ship. And I gave you the number of words. Now there's three of these teams. Every single time was the exact same pattern. Captain said the most words, 
ship's officer, next most words, and then the seaman, fewest words. So the number of words exactly predicted the hierarchy. And we, we see this in meetings, and you probably have suffered through them where the person in charge is blathering on, and they're just drowning out the other voices. So in a meeting, you always want to say, well, how even is the, is the voice share? And if someone's talking too much, especially if it's you, you want to you wanna say, oh, hey, uh, Adam, uh, you've been really quiet. Because typically the person who, who thinks differently is going to be the quiet one. Yeah. And that's why you need to hear their opinion. And they're like, Adam, how do you see it? And you're like, dude, we're going into a hurricane. We need to turn. We need to turn. But no one else is talking about that. Yeah. The, and here's another, just a little side note. The captain never refers to it as a hurricane. The ship gets underway. It's a tropical storm. It gets upgraded to a hurricane right away. It goes to hurricane one, then three. And uh, the captain refers to it as a weather system, a low pressure system, a, a depression, blah, blah, blah. But he never uses the word hurricane. Really interesting. Yeah. I, it says like um, the, it was a, obviously a, a, a tragedy then. And the only people who would have been happy when they heard the story are a bunch of people in Hollywood who were like, this will make a great yeah. movie. It's even got a yeah. good name, El, what, El Faro. Mm-hmm. It already yeah. sounds like, yeah. like I'm all, I've already bought tickets. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it's um, a couple of books have come out like specifically about it. We we just highlighted as one of the stories. And but but then I try to leave a good reader on a high. Say, well, what could it have sounded like? And we and I rescript very detailed. This is how these meetings could have sounded. And uh, and and let's imagine a different world, alternative universe where they weren't. I call them trapped in the industrial age playbook. They were trying to get out. There's two critical moments where two of the officers call the captain and their language is like, well, I, uh, well, I really, uh, uh, it's really not looking good. <laughs> they don't say we're going into a hurricane. I'm turning the ship. And Dave, that sort of it, um, probably leads yeah. into the, the, the second play in your playbook around Collaborate and uh, just that, uh, that importance of getting the conversation flowing from all parties, which you touched on, but um, I, I really, really enjoyed your seven sins of questioning as I read through yeah. those, and I think I was guilty of of, of all of those at some point, <laughs> or, or, and continuing to be. So uh, yeah, I thought I thought that was the really enjoy, yeah, good part of the book. Yeah, I mean, we all grew up probably hearing there's no such thing as a bad question, which is not really true. <laughs> <laughs> And, um, and some of the, as I was doing my research, some of these things were pretty subtle. So for example, there's a strain of um, psychological interviewing. So you get a, you sit down on the couch and the psychologist is interviewing you and the psychiatrist is interviewing you, which is called clean language. So what happens is you say, um, I'm having trouble with my colleague. Now, a, and they say, well, do you have the courage to stand up to them? Well, this is what we would call a dirty question because it, 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 it projects, number one, you should stand up to them. Number two, that the scarce resources, your courage. And number three, that stand up is the right metaphor, not lean in or lean back or punch them in the face or anything else. <laughs> and so you're projecting all that onto the person. So a clean question would be something like, 
just very simply, what is what kind of what kind of trouble are you having? And, and really let the person. Now this takes a lot of time, and in business we feel uh, you know enough already. Like let's let's get moving. But the idea behind that is, I think, very powerful. And if you can, if you can know, if you can know, oh, I'm trying to send a signal, especially as the boss, I'm sending a signal. We should do it. And you're saying, no, it's hard. Even why? Hey, hey, I think we should. Hey, I don't think we should launch the software next week. Well, why would you want to do that? Because <laughs> that tends to be provocative too. So, so, so the book has all these kind of tips within the structure. The, um, the one of the uh, parts of language that I think uh, I um, I was challenged myself was this whole concept of observing versus judging and. Uh, yeah, as I thought about some of the things I say to my kids about, I'm so proud of you, and or, or even telling my kids that they're beautiful, um, you're sort yeah. of call, calling out that even some some positive language itself can at times uh, be misdirected and and cause a, a sort of an adverse effect. And uh, I think I think you mentioned using the the use of a noun versus using a verb can have a, a really powerful difference in terms of the your language. Did you want to expand on that, David? Yeah, sure. So the thing with the kids, so there's a, a researcher out at Stanford named Carol Dweck. She has a great book called Mindset. And she did some studies where they gave young children a puzzle to solve. And then they arbitrarily split them into two. Half of them, they said, oh, you worked hard on that puzzle. And half of them, they said, oh, you're a great puzzle solver. <laughs> and then they asked them if they wanted to do another puzzle. Uh, but, but the trick was the second puzzle, the kids had a choice. You, do you want a harder puzzle or do you want the same puzzle, rel the relatively easy puzzle? Oh, the kids who were told, oh, you're a, you worked hard on that puzzle. They went for the harder puzzle. The majority of them went for the harder puzzle. Of the kids who were told, oh, you're a good puzzle solver, you're smart, you're a natural leader, you're beautiful, you're talented, then they, the majority of them, would stay with the easy puzzle. Because here's what happens. We, we're, we mean well, but if, if you say, like for me, my, my, my burden was that my parents kept, oh, you're so smart, you're so smart. So what happens is you actually avoid situations where that can actually be tested. Because, oh my gosh, what happens if it turns out I, I can't do the hard puzzle? It doesn't mean I'm not really smart. And that becomes, that can wrapped up in your identity. So when we praise, so the rule is this, praise, if you want, uh, observe and remark on the behavior that someone can control, like how hard they worked or their diligence or their discipline or they got up when the alarm went off, not some innate characteristic oh you're talented you're beautiful you're smart you're blah 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 it, because it's it's the thing that they can control which gives them more power there now i've got to take 17 years of parenting back david <laughs> <laughs> how am i going to do that my bad just start a new family that's my motto <laughs> yeah exactly it's, it's real easy <laughs> <laughs> That's why you have a girlfriend. <laughs> yeah, that, that's that's a whole new. <laughs> that's the El Faro in its own right. Someone said, "Don't start a new family," but someone was sneezing when they said, "Don't," and so then I started yeah. a new family. 
that sneezing that sneezing <laughs> thing's going to be the uh, the tagline for this yeah. podcast. And, and David, as you as you sort of wrote the the second book, and, and may I say you're you're a good writer, David. Um, well, you, you worked real hard on that book, David. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm a natural. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, what did what did you learn uh, as a leader as you as you continue to to uh, write book two? So, <laughs> I um, it was really really hard. I did not do as much. I didn't do as much controlling the clock in my own life as I needed to. And uh, so, so there are two things, sort of at a tactical level in the writing of the book, I was really busy. I was flying around. I felt really important. I was going around giving speeches and it was kind of, it was good. It was fun, but I wasn't just blocking to, oh my gosh, someone invited me to go down to Perth and blah, oh, I have to, yeah, but that was your writing. Well, oh, I'll get to that later. And, and so my, I would have been better off listening to my own advice. But the second thing that was really interesting is as I was going through this idea of red work and blue work was think, do, think, do, think, do, think. And I started, I started realizing that this is the way our life is structured. We go to school. then we gra- So that's thinking. That's blue work. And then there's this like now do for 40 years. And then I say, think, do, die. Right. You know, maybe you retire for a little bit, but then, then you die. And I was thinking, you know, now things change so fast. It, it would probably be good for me to put my life into a blue and in, 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 on pause and say, maybe I should get another degree. Maybe I should really reflect. Maybe uh, I, I have a benefit from them, from them, from my time in the military. I, I go to college for free. I could go get a master's or a PhD for free. I just need to do it. And, and oh, by the way, there's a time limit on the thing. That's coming up in a couple of years. And I'm thinking, maybe I really need to think about what, what I'm doing. So Are you, I, I are you wanting us to that. tell you? To, are, you want, are you looking for our approval? Because we, we think it's a good idea. No, well... <laughs> Yeah, no, not really. My, my wife tells me what to do. I don't think you guys. <laughs> well, we're on her side. All right, good. Yeah. So anyway, but you know, you just feel like no, no, no. I got to do it. You know, blah, blah, blah. And then it's like, yeah. And then you look back. And you're like, you know what? I wish I'd taken. I mean, like so you wish a month paused. off and just gone and doing call, just yeah. taking a month or a semester, like just like that. And David, uh, what's your, what was the inspiration and at the risk of stacking the question, your inspiration and motivation for, for writing this book? What's your hope for it? I, it's, it's, it's good people trapped in a bad playbook. It, it's not about evil people. <laughs> there are some evil people, but, but the vast, vast, vast majority of us are trying to do the right thing. And, and, I've personally been in these places where I, my boss was very toxic and it wasn't good for me or the people in the organization. I am convinced that they thought they were doing, I mean, they were basically doing what the system programmed them to do. And the problem is not that he was evil. The problem is that 
he was thrust into the wrong, he was using the wrong playbook, basically. He was getting people to do stuff. He was forcing them to obey the clock. He was conforming to hierarchy instead of what we want, which is controlling the clock, allowing people to think and connecting as human beings. So it's good people trapped in the wrong language, this language that we inherited from the Industrial Revolution. Well, I have absolutely no doubt there's going to be um, millions of people out there reading your book, um, taking a, a lot from it, David, and, and, growing, at, <clears throat> and growing as leaders. So uh, I, I think it's fantastic. Congratulations on the book. Well, thanks a lot. And I hope uh, I, I, I come down to Australia one or, once or twice a year. Uh, I've been doing that with, with, with the existing book, and I hope to continue that. I always have a lot of fun down there. Um, I got my uh, visit, visit a, a bike shops, uh, uh, software companies. Sounds like you've been to Perth, companies. so that's a win. Yeah, I've been to Perth. Yeah, yeah uh, Melbourne. Um, you've covered all the big ones. Melbourne, I, Perth, that's it. That's all you need. Cans. Oh, you've been to all the extremes. You've covered oh, the country. I, I, was a, I was in Sydney too. Oh. Well, yeah. it's, I mean, that's all right. I mean, that's fine. Yeah, it's okay. <laughs> it's, it's no cans. That, that's how Mel Burning instinct, David. They're just always, yeah. you can yeah. hear it in the language. He's just aspiring to be a, a Sydneyite. That's all. Sydney's, Apparently, Sydney's yeah. very good yeah, at when puzzles. When I was in Melbourne, they were all saying, oh, this is the greatest city in Australia. And forget about those people in Sydney. That's all I remember. <laughs> uh, beautiful. Uh, look, it looks like yeah. uh, so I, was, I was just. Stuck reminiscing about all the wonderful places in Australia, um, but I do feel like we have uh, we have reached the end of this uh, another wonderful episode with David Marquet. Uh, I hope you have enjoyed um, all the all the tangible lessons that that have uh, been spoken about today, and all the thoughts. And um, I guess we should we should touch on when the book is is the book available now. When will it be available? This is your time yeah, to spruik hard. February sixth. The sixth of it'll February. Start, yep, it's a, it'll start shipping like at the beginning of February. So you can order it now, but uh, it'll start shipping late January, early February. But February sixth is the actual pub date. And just hope that the book isn't on a ship that's going through a hurricane. I think that's yeah. the fingers <laughs> crossed. That's all you can hope for. Uh, well, thank you so much for joining us, uh, David. Uh, I hope you've enjoyed your time on Skype. Uh, we got there. Technology is occasionally our friend. That's uh, that's what we. That's the best you can hope for from technology is that we didn't tear our hair out in frustration. Uh, Adam, uh, I hope you enjoyed your time in the first mate chair. You were uh, navigationally sound. Thank you very much, Rich. <laughs> and uh, great, great to see you and hear from you again, David. And uh, yeah, very much enjoyed the book. All right. Thank you, Adam. Thanks, Rick. We make Leadership of Fools because we love it and because we believe that conversations are more important now than ever before. You can help us out by subscribing wherever you listen to your podcasts. And while you're there, leave us a review. We'd love to know what you think. You can also check out extra content that we upload onto our LinkedIn page at Leadership of Fools. Thanks again once more. And until next time, goodbye.